Pray with me as we continue. Father, thank you for loving us so much. The story that we just heard is our story. The real story of Christmas. God, we thank you for Jesus. There is no one like him. There is no one who has done what he's done. There's no one who has a being like him. There's no human that is also God. And so God, we celebrate this Christmas like we do every Christmas, thankful for Jesus. And as we get into the message, God, we want to get into the details of this story a little bit more. We ask you to help us to understand it. All of us, God, have some familiarity with Christmas. But God, I pray today that you would open our eyes to see it even from a new perspective, to get into just the vastness of what happened in this holiday that we celebrate. So God, I pray that you would open eyes and ears and hearts today, overcome people's resistance to you. Help me to communicate this message God, in a way that honors you and is helpful to us. Fill us now with your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat if you're standing. And if you weren't standing, I hope that there was a reason why you couldn't stand, because my goodness, there's just something about that. And that's why we wanted to celebrate that. And I know you've already been welcomed at the beginning of the gathering and saying welcome to Christmas at Revolution. And we've been talking about a little bit already of this theme for this year, which is I'll be home for Christmas. And I, and I love this theme because there's nothing like being home at Christmas. And I don't know where home is for you. Maybe Georgia is home, or maybe you grew up somewhere else like I did. I, if you've been around here, you know I am from Texas, the second greatest country on earth, <laughs> second only to the United States, and Texas voluntarily joined the United States, still the Republic of Texas, can break off at any time, and if it does, I'm just letting you know I'm heading back, all right? Because I love Texas. Obviously, being from there, there's so many great things about the state, and, and I knew that when I was there, because people would always, every time I would travel, somebody would ask, where are your cowboy hat? Where's your horses? Do y'all say howdy, y'all, to everybody? People are amazed that there's things in Texas outside of, you know, cows and horses, but I would tell people now, like, what makes the state of Texas so great, I mean, come on, who else has their own toast? <laughs> right? Texas toast. We have our own subcategory of food that restaurants are designated by Tex-Mex. And for real, it's the best kind of mex, y'all. And there's other great things about Texas. And I love it now. God has been so gracious to me over the last several years. He's bringing things from Texas to Georgia like Bucky's. <laughs> if you have not been to Bucky's yet, people are like, what? It's just a gas station. No, bro, it's an experience. You have to go. I, I, I told, in fact, I got so tired of telling our staff about it. We rented a charter bus and I took them there. And we had our staff meeting outside of Bucky's. Everybody brought lawn chairs, and they were like, okay, I get it now. 
And then this year, the Lord of all creation brought Whataburger. Yes. If you haven't had Whataburger yet, I understand there's been like a four-hour wait because the inside of the restaurant's not open, just the drive-through is. People are like, what's so great about Whataburger? I'm like, I don't know. But have you seen any other uh, restaurant when they opened the news helicopter was flying over giving traffic updates about how long the wait was at the drive-through line? No, okay. So settle down in your critiques about Whataburger. <laughs> that legit happens. By the way, I was listening to 95.5 and they have the traffic updates. And for real, I'm driving down the road. One of the greatest days of my life, second to Jesus and married and my kids, um, was getting traffic. I'm like, what other restaurant? I mean, they're literally flying over Whataburger giving traffic updates on the mile-long drive-through line. People are like, have you gone yet? No, but I'm, I'm going. And, and mainly because I had it four times over Thanksgiving. And so I had, you know... In one week span, I was like, I got my fill, but, but God blessed us. He brought Whataburger to Georgia. So when I think about Whataburger, and I get it, there's better gourmet burgers, but fast food, I'd put it up against anybody. People are like, in and out. I'm like, get out, right? And, but I love Whataburger, not just because it's what a burger, but it's nostalgic for me because it reminds me of home. Another great thing out of the state of Texas, Dr. Pepper. Now, I can't vouch for all the commercials, I mean, but the drink is awesome. And there's something about having, I like diet Dr. Pepper. Lindsay swears that the syrups in Texas are better at Whataburgers than they are outside of Texas. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's good. And then 13 years ago, God moved my family from Texas to Georgia. And I thought, you know, if there was anywhere outside of Texas I would wanna be, I wanna to go to the home of Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I mean, it's the Lord's chicken, right? I mean, they're closed on Sundays to honor the Lord, and I feel like every time I bite into the sandwich, I'm worshiping God, <laughs> right? I mean, it is good. And so not only did God bless me to be from Texas with Whataburger and Dr. Pepper, but I got Georgia where it's Chick-fil-A and Coke. I mean, God could have really punished me and sent me to North Carolina, which is the home of Pepsi. Who in the mess likes that stuff? And so when I think about home, right? Growing up, it was Texas. Now my home is Georgia. My kids were born in Texas. All four of us were born in Texas. But now this is home. And there's something about being home, right? And now that I'm a parent, I understand that the best thing about Christmas is not the gifts, although those are awesome. It really is family and being home together. I have a son who's in college and he is home for Christmas. I know he's home because there's less food in my fridge. <laughs> and my poor daughter is like, oh, Jackson, go back to college. Quit eating all my stuff. Like for me, I mean, I pay for it either way if he's there or if he's here, so whatever. But having him home, having my daughter home, having family, being home for Christmas is really what makes the holiday so special. 
And so this whole concept of I'll be home for Christmas is not just a great song, but the part about the song that I don't really like is like, I'm going to be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. I don't know about you, but I want it more than just in my dreams. This sense of home, this sense of I am with my people, I am, say, I am where I'm supposed to be. And, and the reason why I love this concept of home is I'm going to hopefully show you is God wants us to be home. But home is not so much a place as it is a person. And what I want to do for our time together is I want to look at a probably a rather familiar story to you that you might not think on the surface has anything to do with Christmas, but I hope to show you how it has everything to do with Christmas. And it's a story about a father who got his kid back home. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you don't have one, don't worry about it. We've got the verses here on the screen. But in Luke chapter 15, there's a rather famous story that's called the story of the prodigal son. Now, I don't really like that title. And the titles, by the way, just like the chapter and verse divisions in your Bible, those are not inspired. Those were added later. So if you got subheadings, and sometimes I'll just cross them out and write something else in because this title in particular says it's the parable of the prodigal son, and it just highlights one son. But it's a story about two sons. In fact, let's jump into the story. Luke 15, verse 11, you get it right off the bat. Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. How many sons? Two. If you're new, I'd like for you to call and respond occasionally. Let's try that again. There was a man who had two sons. All right, so this is a story about two sons. Not just one son, two and here's what happens. Verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. That's plural, right? And, and I looked up the word two. It means one more than one. For real. <laughs> two. Plural, right? He has two sons, which is why I don't like the title focusing on one. It's two. But what's shocking about this story is what one of the sons do. Again, as a parent, I can understand this more now, but I also can understand it as a kid. Because what I find interesting about this story is how this family has a dynamic that's quite a bit different than my family growing up. I don't know about your family dynamic growing up, and maybe for you, you're like, bro, the worst thing in the world is for me to be home for Christmas. But in my family dynamic growing up, if I would have done what this younger son did, I would have gotten something far different than an inheritance. If I would have went to my father and said, Father, I don't want to wait until you die to get my portion of your wealth, your property, everything that you've built. I want it now. It's like Veruca Salt, right? From Charlie and Chocolate Factory. I want it now. If I would have said that to my father, I would have gotten a backhand, not an inheritance. And so I read this story, look at this story, and I'm like, how in the world does this father do this? I mean, this is crazy. Because you have to understand the audacity with which the younger son comes to the father, and he says, I want my stuff. He's saying to the father, you're as good as dead to me. 
I don't care about you. I don't care about a relationship. I don't care that you're my father. I just want your stuff and I don't want to wait till you die to get it. So I want it now. Again, that dynamic, I don't know about you, but here's the good news. What the Bible says, your family ain't the only dysfunctional one. You know, you can't spell families without the word lies. Spell it out. You'll see what I'm saying. You'll be in the car later on like, oh, yeah, I get you. What I love about this story on one level is it makes me really kind of glad that my family's not the only dysfunctional one. Because the Bible can understand me. In fact, when you read the stories in the Bible, people are honestly quite shocked at times at what actually happens. And the Bible will tell you the dysfunctional stories of people's families, not so that you'll repeat them, but so that you won't repeat them, so that you can see, oh, other families, other people have issues too. And that's part of what makes family awesome is the people, right? But part of the thing that makes families horrible is the people, It's both. And so here's a father who has a young son who comes to him and says, I wish you were dead. I just want your stuff. And and I've said this before, but I'm the youngest of three. And if my brother and sister were here, they would say, well, of course it was the younger son. Because we all know the youngest one, he's the one, you know, gets us all in trouble. And they always, my brother and sister, my, my brother's six years older, my sister's two years older. They still, to this day, over Thanksgiving, they did this. They still talked about how most of the issues growing up in our family were because something I did. I'm like, no, it wasn't. Me going and telling on y'all was a survival mechanism. That's all I had, right? My brother and sister, both taller than me, bigger than me, could knock me out. And so I did everything I could to survive, y'all ain't gonna lie. Sometimes that meant made-up stories, so be it. But I can't quite fathom, even in my worst days, saying this to my father. I just want your stuff. And the crazy thing about the story is the father gives it to him. Verse 13, it says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, which was now quite a lot, and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. I don't know what the equivalent of Las Vegas would be back then, but just imagine. You get your inheritance early and you go out to Sin City. Talk about one of the worst mottos ever. What, stay, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it don't. I bring that dead home. And so he goes out. We don't know where. And this is a made-up story, by the way. This didn't actually happen. Jesus is telling this story to prove a point, which I'll show you what the main point is in a minute. But he goes off to a far country and he squanders it, everything that he just received on reckless living. Now, this isn't a a message on money management, but my advice to you is don't do this. Don't squander your livelihood on reckless living. And if you don't know the story, the reason why it's called the prodigal son is because what happens with him obviously is pretty crazy. 
And the father's response to him is equally crazy. Not only in the fact that he lets him go, but, but the story goes, the guy goes off, he wrecks his life, and then the very next verse, and I don't have all this on the screen because I just don't have time to get into it, but I'll kind of summarize it for you. This great famine comes into the land, and he is now desperate. He is destitute. He's got nothing. And for the first time in his life, probably, he has to hire himself out. He has to work. And he hires himself out to a guy who owns pigs. And he's feeding the pigs in the pig slop with the pigs. And again, I don't know your upbringing, but high school I went to in East Texas, I'll never forget, there was a guy who worked there and he was part of the facilities or maintenance crew, but he had some pigs at home at his farm and he would bring his old truck to, to work every day. In the back of his old truck, he had these 50 gallon barrels and he, they were just full in the back and he would get the leftover food from the, ca the cafeteria every day, like the nasty, gross food and they would dump it all into these barrels. So I guess, you know, Texas is pretty redneck, I get it. So they dump all the leftover food into these barrels. And this truck was like 30 years old. These barrels were probably 30 years old and it had gunk on it that was probably 30 years old. I don't know what else to call it. But the way our high school was situated, here was the parking lot and here was the field house. And in between them was the back of the cafeteria. And so I would park my car and have to walk to the field house and walk right by this truck every day. I can still smell it in my nostrils. It was disgusting. I mean, gross. And I don't know if you can tell, but I don't really have a problem with starvation. I, don't, I, don't, I just gotta be straight with y'all. People are like, I was so busy today, I didn't eat. I don't understand you. <laughs> I missed two meal, I missed one meal, I'm getting worried. I missed two, I'm about to call 911. <laughs> but I have never in my life been so hungry like this cat was when he was working with the pigs, the Bible says that the slop started looking good to him. He started debating in his mind, should I eat that? I ain't never been that hungry, y'all. We do a 21-day prayer and fasting. We'll do it in January in a few weeks. We do it at the beginning of every year as a way to set aside it's like, a, it's like a, a tithe to the Lord of our time and our, our energy and our passion. We want to feast on something else other than food. Uh, our, our, the word of God, as the Bible says. And so we do that at the beginning of every year as a way to focus. And at the end of those 21 days, obviously we're hungry. And I've gone longer than 21 days before, but never so hungry that pig slop looks good to me. But that's this guy's circumstance, Jesus says. And then finally, it says he comes to his senses. He says, you know what? The servants at my father's house have it better than this. I can't be a son anymore because I told him he's dead to me, but I'm gonna go back and be a servant. And the story goes, he comes back, and as he's still a long way off, the Bible says the father sees him, the father runs to him, doesn't even let him get a word out, recognizes him coming back is his repentance, and he puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, brings him into the house and throws a party. Don't you know that kid was surprised? And that's why we call it the peril of the prodigal son. And I understand that because it does highlight the lavish love of the father. But that's not the part of the story 
that Jesus was trying to drive home in a sense to shock us because the father's response like that is not shocking. When you understand who God is and how God lives and what he does, the fact that God would respond, and that's metaphorically speaking in the story, the father in the story represents God. That's not the part of the story that Jesus was saying as a way to like surprise us into what was happening. It's this next part. Because remember, I told you it was a story about how many sons? Two. So let's look at the second son. Verse 25. It says, now his oldest son or older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So apparently that's not bad. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. Verse 27, he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, here's the shocking part of the story. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered the father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat. So I imagine him saying it. Again, those of you who are parents, you know when your kids cross their arms like this, right? They're trying to send you a message. It's almost comical. I mean, this dude is upset. You never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. This is the part of the story that you're supposed to read and think, what a jerk. I mean, this, this cat responds like this on what was probably one of the greatest days of his father's life. His son is back home. He's celebrating. The son is back. And we don't know how long that the son was gone, but, but the son is back and, and the father has received him back safe and sound and the father is celebrating. He is throwing a party. And yet this son is angry and outside and it's crazy. It's meant to be shocking to us because the bad son ends up on the inside and the good son ends up on the outside. See, the father has to go out to him too. But that's not the only thing that's meant to be shocking in this story. Look at verse 31 and 32. He said, and he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. That's important. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, to understand the main point of this story, you can't extract this story from the chapter and just kind of divorce it from the other two stories that were told in the same chapter. Because in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. Three parables. And these three parables are meant to be together. Because there's something that happens in the first two that doesn't happen in the third. And that's what Jesus is calling your attention to. And it's not the love of the Father. Let me tell you what I mean. In parable one, 
in Luke chapter 15. It's the parable of the lost sheep. You may have heard this parable too. Jesus says there was a shepherd. He had some sheep and one of them leaves. He, it's lost. And then he says he leaves a certain number. Anybody know how many? 99, you heard it. And he goes after the one. And he brings the one back. And then he throws a party. And then he says, this is what happens in heaven over every sinner that repents. So apparently, heaven throws a party. One of my favorite movies, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I'll watch it every Christmas. I'll watch it today. You know, at the end, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. I don't know about that, but every time a sinner comes home, heaven throws a party. I do know that. That's what Jesus said. But in parable one, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. In parable two, it's the parable of a woman who has lost a coin. Now you have to understand, this isn't just, I mean, we live in a day and age, you're like, if we, I lost a coin, this, this lady, she lost the coin, she upends her whole house to find it. And you're like, well, it depends on the coin. Penny, I ain't touching it. I'll vacuum that sucker. <laughs> People do that all the time, just vacuum up pennies. But this woman lost the coin. Apparently, this coin was so valuable that she turns her whole house upside down. She's searching through everything. That's one of my biggest frustrations in life when I can't find something that's lost. She's just tearing everything up. She finds it. Then she calls her friends over and she celebrates. She's like, it was lost and now it's found. And then Jesus tells the third parable, which is this one. But in this parable, it's not a sheet that's lost. It's not a coin that's lost. It's a son that's lost. And you want to know the most shocking part of the story? No one goes after the son. No one goes out after the son. See, the sheep, the shepherd left the 99 and went after the one. The coin, the woman goes after the coin, tearing everything up in her house to find it. But in the third story... It's a human that's lost and no one goes after him. I mean, straw poll, is a human more important than a sheep and some coin? Yes. Not saying sheep aren't important. Not saying money ain't important. But human beings are definitely more important. And the shocking part of this story is meant to hit you in the face and say, why didn't someone go after him? Why did they just let him leave? And you can't understand it until you understand. Way back in verse 11 and 12, it said the father divided his property among them. See, it wasn't just the younger son that got the inheritance that day. Also, the older brother did too, the older son. And in fact, back in that day, you didn't break up your inheritance equally among your children. The oldest son got double. And we look at that and we're like, that's so unfair. It's amazing our levels of fairness. But it wasn't meant to be unfair in the sense that the father just loved the first one more like he was somehow playing favorites. The reason why the oldest would get double is because the oldest also took on the responsibility for the family. 
See, the oldest didn't just get the inheritance. The oldest got the responsibility to protect the inheritance. See, the youngest could get his inheritance and go to Vegas. And it only affects him. But when the oldest got his inheritance, which would have been double, he also now bears the responsibility for the family. And so when the father tells the older son there in verse 31 and 32, all I have, all that is mine is yours. He means it. Because see, the father has already divided his stuff between his two sons. So now everything that he has is tied up with his oldest son. And the reason why the oldest son got mad is because when the father killed the fattened calf, whose fattened calf was it? It was the oldest son's now. And back then, you didn't eat beef like you do today. It would have been very hard for me back then. You see, it was a delicacy. In fact, all meat was a delicacy. You just didn't have it that often because they didn't have stores, butchers. You had to raise your own flock. And it's this way still today in the world, in most third world environments. In fact, our church is in Kenya. I mean, mostly they eat rice and beans and some kind of vegetables daily. And when something great happens, they might kill a goat. In fact, they've done that when we've been there. They killed the goat. In fact, they asked me to kill it. I was like, no, I'm good. You go ahead, bro. Because they did it with like this knife thing. I mean, and I kid you not, they start cutting open the goat. And they get his stomach and they turn the stomach inside out and scrape it. And they were like, you want some? I'm like, no, I'm good, bro. I might upset my stomach a little bit. I mean, it was a, and they did it because we were celebrating. We had baptisms that day. It was this amazing celebration. That didn't happen often. So this was a very expensive gesture. And the son is mad. The older son is mad because in order to accept the younger son back, it came at a great cost. And now it wasn't just a great cost to the father. It was a great cost to the oldest son. And Jesus is telling this story to shock us. And here's what's crazy. The story ends right there. And again, this is a made-up story. Jesus is saying it to prove a point. And the shocking thing is, the youngest son is in, the oldest son is out, and it's over. And Jesus tells this story because he wants us to ask the question, who should have gone after the son? Why didn't he go? See, it was the failure of the oldest son to go after what the father loved most, which was his sons. It was his job to now be responsible for the family, and he failed. And not only that, he's mad that the father got his other son back at great cost to himself. And this is when you're like, okay, what does this story have to do with Christmas? Everything. Because this story, to some degree, is our story. This story is to illustrate Reality for us. See, Jesus was talking 
In Luke 15, verse one and two, it tells us he was talking to people and there was two crowds that kept gathering around him. The tax collectors and sinners, that would have been characterized by the younger son. And then the religious people, that would have been characterized by the older son. And Jesus is sharing a message to them about their need to be saved, about their need to repent, about their need to change. And the religious people keep looking at the tax collectors and sinners and say, why does he keep receiving them? In essence, he's saying, they're saying, why does he keep going out after them? And so Jesus tells this story to say, the reason why I keep going out after them is because I'm the true older brother. I'm the true oldest son of the father. And everything that the father has is mine and everything I have is his. And he wants his lost children back. And so he sent me to come find you. That's what the story is about. And that story is illustrated all throughout the Old Testament. See, the Old Testament was looking forward to one day when this Messiah, this Savior would come. And there's all these kind of messianic prophecies throughout the Old Testament that are highlighted. And again, we heard some of it in the story. They're saying, we're looking forward to this. We're looking forward to this day. In fact, one of the greatest ones is found in Isaiah chapter 9. In fact, I have it here on the screen. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 4. Let me read you this before I get to the greatest probably scripture we have about Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 and 4 says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Verse four, for the York, 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 the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. See this prophecy that is happening in Isaiah chapter nine is talking about how one day someone will come and find everybody who is lost in darkness. And Jesus in Luke chapter 15 is talking about in the story, the younger son, he is the one who's lost in darkness. And what's interesting, the word darkness is, is metaphorical for chaos and judgment in fact, when it says here in deep darkness, Matthew chapter four tells us in quoting this verse and ties it to Jesus, he calls it the shadow of death. See, darkness is typified by chaos and death. And I don't know if you've been paying attention, but I would say our world is pretty dark, pretty chaotic, a lot of chaos and death. And there's something within each one of us that says, you know, this is not right. It's amazing how people have a concept of justice, yet they don't believe in God. Like, where did you get your concept of justice from? Nature? Because when I look at nature, the strong eat the weak. People are like, survival of the fittest, but then they want to help the poor. I'm like, I don't understand. You have co conflicting philosophical ideas. Where did you get the concept of, of this isn't right? You know, because fish don't swim in water and think, you know, man, something's just wrong about this. Animals don't run around in the jungle and like, man, something's just wrong about this. They're like, no, they're just doing what they were made to do. Human beings are the only species on the planet who walk around and say, something's wrong about this. This doesn't feel like home. This doesn't feel right. Someone needs to come. And our biggest failure is not thinking that someone needs to come. It's thinking that it's government. 
It's not government, it's God. And what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 15, he's saying, listen, when you read this story and you think, what a loser, older son, I'm saying that story because I want you to understand something. God's oldest son isn't like that. The real father's son isn't like that. You say, Jesus, how do you know? Because Jesus is the real father's son. Look at verse six of Isaiah chapter nine, just in case you didn't believe me. For to us, a child is born. To us, a what is given. Come on now, let's try it. To what? A son is given. And watch this. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, the story about Christmas is not just that a child was born 2,000 years ago. Children are born every day. And it's awesome and it's amazing. And yes, Jesus was born. But he wasn't just born. Watch this. He was also a son that was given. See, these two aspects of who Jesus is confirm the two natures that he had. He was God in the flesh. See, a child is born means he was born. He was human. But a son is given means he was divine. See, these two aspects are found in one person. And this is what's trippy. Jesus is the only human being who's ever been born who was older than his parents. Think about it. Just imagine being Mary and Joseph and they're talking about the good old days. I remember I grew up in the late 70s and my mom and dad loved the music of the 50s and the 60s and the shows. I mean, I watched Andy Griffin and, you know, the Carol Nat show. I loved all that stuff. They would talk all that about the music, the good old days. Just imagine Jesus' parents talking about the good old days and Jesus is like, I know I was there because I'm the ancient of days. See, the past just wasn't something he knew about. It's somewhere he was. Because he wasn't just a child that was born, he was a son that was given. And see, this is what makes the Christmas story completely unlike any other story on the planet. It's not just a baby that was born, it was God who was given. And why did God give his son? God gave his son so that his son could give his life. In fact, if you want to take notes, that's the main point. God, on Christmas, God gave his son, and on Easter, the son gave his life. See, Jesus tells the parable of Luke 15 to tell us that he is nothing like the older brother. He is the true son of the father. See, what was shocking about the story was not the father's love. What was shocking about the story is that the son didn't care as much about what the father cared about. And Jesus shows up and says, I'm not like that. I care about what the father cares about. And what the father cares about is getting you home. And I came into your darkness. I came into your chaos. I came into your death because God gave me. God sent me. I mean, probably the greatest verse of the Bible that a lot of us memorize. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Did you catch that? He gave. Do you understand that John 3, 16 is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9, 6? See, everything that happens in the New Testament was prophesied about in the Old Testament. That's why when you put them together, you're meant to be amazed. Like when you read Luke 15, you're like, why didn't the son go? The reason why the son didn't go is because he wasn't God. 
But the reason why Jesus, who is the true son of God, did go is because he is God. And Christianity, listen to me, church, Christianity is the only religion that has at its center not us getting to God, but God getting to us. Not us trying to ascend to God, but God descending to us. And he descended into the most vulnerable position, a baby. You know what's amazing? In the Old Testament, God reveals himself to Moses. He revealed himself as a burning bush. Later in a tornado, in a wind, in a cloud, right? But you realize you can't hug any of those things. But why did God come as a baby? In fact, Hebrews chapter one and two tells us that's the greatest revelation of God. Not the tornadoes, not the burning bushes, not the miracles of parting seas. Those were not the greatest miracles. The greatest one is God became a baby. Because you can hug a baby. Something about hugging a baby, isn't there? Something about kissing a baby. Because it's relational. Have you understand, have you understood or have you ever thought about how God uses all this relational language in the Bible? He calls himself father, son. What's crazy in Hebrews chapter one and two that I just referenced, it says he, Jesus, had to be made like us in every way. That's why he put on flesh so that he could be tempted like us, so he could be tried like us. And then it says this, he had to be made in every way like his brothers. So you can't understand the story of Luke 15 until you understand Jesus. Jesus is the older son of the father. Jesus is our older brother and he came into your chaos to shine a light so that you could get home. Because see, home is not so much a place. See, we always talk about heaven as a place and I'm not saying it's not a place, but it is about God. So Jesus didn't come to get us back to a place. He came to get us back to a person. And that person is our father. Because we all know something's wrong and that something that's wrong will stay wrong. Our heart will stay restless until it finds its rest in its home, which is with God. That's why he came. That's what the story's about. It's meant to shock you and to wish that that younger son had an older brother and for you to read this story and put yourself in there to see Jesus as your true older brother who came after you, that he was born, he put on flesh and he didn't just dwell among us. He lived a sinless, perfect life and yet he died a sinner's death on a cross Trading places with us. See, I told you the reason why the older brother got mad is because it cost him to bring the younger brother back. And guess what? It cost our older brother too. But much more than a fattened calf, it cost him his life. That's why he's called the sacrificial lamb. He gave his life. And you know this to be true but you will sacrifice whatever for what is most valuable to you. Or let me say it another way. The level to which you sacrifice for something shows you how valuable it is to you. 
Because see, if I told you that I'm going to need you to get $100,000 by tomorrow, you'd be like, say what? I mean, I'm going to a Christmas party tonight. It's a white elephant, but I don't think I'm going to get that. But if I said, I'm, you're going to need $100,000 by tomorrow or your kid's going to die, you would do whatever it took. And what Jesus is saying is the father wanted you back so bad, he was willing to do whatever it took. He gave his son, and the son gave his life. See, that's Christmas. And in order for you and I to get home, there's two things we've got to receive. In fact, I have them here on the screen. Two things we need to receive. Number one, the truth that we are lost in darkness. See, in order to be found, in order to be saved, I have to admit that I'm lost. And the second thing we have to receive is the son, the true older brother as our savior. See, what's interesting, and I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but earlier in the gathering, you, you saw the story, you heard the story about two trees. And then I've been talking about a story about two sons. And now I've just told you there's two things you need to receive. And now I want you to understand there's two ways that you can be lost. There's two ways you can be lost. What do I mean by that? See, these two sons exemplify the two ways to be lost. One is the younger son way to be lost, and that's the irreligious way. And what I mean by the irreligious way is you reject God, you reject morality, and you go live life on your own terms. So you are lost because you left God, you left home, you, you did it your own way. And what's crazy is that kind of lostness is much easier to see. I mean, th these are the people that have destroyed their life. And this is why the gospel message is always so attracting to the people in the worst circumstances, whether that be physical poverty or spiritual poverty. Because the gospel is attractive when you're poor. See, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And our problem is we're not poor in spirit enough. We like middle class in spirit. And that's the second way to be lost. See, the first way to be lost is the irreligious way. The second way to be lost is the religious way. And here's what's crazy. This category of people that are lost, you won't find them in pig pens or whatever we think pig pens are in our culture, bars, right? You won't, you won't find them in this licentious living, Vegas, you know? The second category of people, and they're still lost, but they're religiously lost, you'll find them in church. You'll find them in Sunday schools. These are the people that say, I've been a Christian my whole life. No, you haven't. That's impossible. I don't care if your mama gave birth to you on the church pew. Right? You ain't a Christian. Because you're born lost. And see, these are the people that are like, well, you know, I'm not that bad. 
You know, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't dance with those who do. You define yourself by what you don't do. Well, here's what's interesting. Since you're mentioning that, you realize there's two kinds of sins. You see the theme? There's sins of commission, which means you committed them, you did them. But then there's sins of omission, means you omitted them. Is anyone here willing to say, maybe you haven't done a lot of bad, but there's a lot of good that you should have done and you didn't do? See, that's sin too. And the shocking part of the story is the bad kid ends up on the inside. The good kid ends up on the outside. Why? Because the good kid couldn't see that he was just as lost as the bad kid. See, we don't don't need to repent just for the bad that we did. We also need to repent for the good that we did that tried to get us back in with God. That's called repenting of your self-righteousness. You had this older brother spirit where you thought there was something about you that deserved to be inside. And here's what's crazy about the gospel. Your bad record doesn't keep you out and your good record doesn't get you in. Did you hear what I said? See, for some of you today, it's much easier for you to receive the truth that you're lost because you know you're lost. You're broke as a joke and it ain't funny. You're here today because you are desperately searching for home. But others of you, you have more like this nagging sensation in your spirit. You're like, ah, you know, I thought this would do it and it didn't. I thought getting married would do it. And all the married people are like, ah, <laughs> you thought wrong, buddy. I thought this job would do it. I thought if I had a lot of followers on social media, that would do it. I don't know who that person is, but it's. (laughs) I thought if I had kids, it would do it. I thought if I was rich, you know, because the good life, the path to the good life is rich in fame. But there's something nagging in you. like, oh, I just feel like this in the home because it ain't. What you need to receive today is you're just as lost. But then you need to receive the second thing. And that's that the older brother came for you too. See, there's two categories of lostness and ultimately there's two destinations. And I'm not just saying heaven and hell in the way we typically think about that. I'm saying one at home with God forever and one outside in the cold in the dark but if you'll receive these two truths your heart can find its home in God your loving father because of the sacrifice of your older brother let's pray father thank you for the truth of Christmas There's no story like it. There's no story like the gospel. This is why we call it good news. Because Christianity is the only faith, like I said, that's built upon God coming to us. Father, you sent Jesus, your son, and he came to us. He came to our pigsty. He came to our chaos, into our mess. So that he could take the punishment 
so he could take on death and beat it from the inside. And God, I know there are people here today that maybe for the first time are starting to understand that they're lost because their heart's not at home with you. There hasn't been that definitive moment where they came to their senses and they understood and you wrapped around them with your arms and said, I love you, you're home. And maybe it's because they didn't understand Jesus. So I pray right now, God, you'd save them. Open their eyes to see the truth about who you are. No one looking around or talking here as we close, but if that's you, today you understood for the first time you're lost. And you want to receive not only that truth, but you want to receive the Son as your Savior. Then all it takes is a confession. And we pray, not because there's anything magical about the prayer, but I'm just, I'm introducing you to my Father. So if you want to trust Christ for the first time, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, Thank you for loving me that you sent Jesus out to get me, to save me. I confess I'm lost. I try to do it my own way, but my heart's not home. So would you come and save me? Forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting in Jesus alone who paid the price to get me to you. Now again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just pray to trust Jesus, I want you to do one thing for me. Real simple, you don't have to come down front, but would you just simply lift your hand up? Just lift it up, lift it high. If you just trust it in Jesus, lift it high because we have a gift we wanna give you. We can't give you the gift if we can't see your hand. So just lift it up. Don't worry. Nobody's looking around. This is amazing. There's nothing to be ashamed about. Thank you. When they get that gift to you, you can put your hand down. Welcome to the family. Welcome home. And then those of us that are already in the family couple things I want to remind you about from this story. Don't forget that you got into the family by grace too. You didn't deserve it. So don't be mad when the father brings people home and it costs you something. It costs you to forgive them. See, God is generous. He's a giver and he wants his kids to be generous and to be givers. That's why we give. That's why we give gifts at Christmas time. It's the only national holiday in which we do this because giving gifts to others is representative of the gift that we've received at Christmas. And also remember this, because I know there's a lot of you that are Christians that you've been asking God to give you things. And they're good things. And you haven't received them. I want to encourage you with the truth of Romans 8.32 that says this, if he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for his all, will he not also graciously give us all things? See, God's already given you the greatest gift. 
his most prized, not possession in the sense that Jesus is a possession, but who he loves most. And if he gave us his son, won't he also give us everything else that we need? So if he hasn't given it to you, you don't need it yet. And you keep asking him to give it to you and maybe it's because God's saying, I want to make sure you want me more as the giver than you want the gift. See, both of these sons just wanted the gift. They didn't want the father. And by us not having what we want forces us to reorient what is it that we want most? Is it God? So let the Christmas story be a reminder to all of us there's nothing greater than God himself. And if you get God, you got everything and all that he has now, you have. And one day Jesus will return and he will undo everything that was done wrong and we will be with him forever and we will celebrate with our father. Father, I pray that these truths would become true for us and we wouldn't just sing them, but we believe them and we live them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.